as a society, what do we think the cost of carbon emissions is? So if we put a price on that, economics of a lot of things are gonna change and look very different. Also, some regions of the world have resources to make hydrogen and others don't. Urban Jungle brings stories from people around the globe that design and build a better world. I am Magda Flores and this is Urban Jungle. Welcome. Did you know that where we live and how we interact affects our well-being? Yet, when we talk about well-being, we tend to talk about me. Well-being is about we, the community and the environment we live in. It is time to shift the paradigm from me to we. Check out the Urban Wellbeing Training courses developed in partnership with the UK's Chartered Institute of Water and Environmental Management at www.siwem.org. This is a conversation with Barbara Haydon, Principal at Horizon Views, previously worked for SRI International, where Barbara Haydon helped identify funding sources for SRI emerging energy technologies and supported its commercialization. Hello, Barbara. Good morning. Uh, yes, it's uh, it's pretty early for you. <laughs> <laughs> but not for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I hope you've got your coffee with you. First of all, so that we can actually picture where you are, because we have interviews with people from all over the world. Would you please share a place that you like to visit near where you are based? Oh, well, I love actually just sitting right here in my house. I live in the most beautiful place on the planet, in my opinion. <laughs> Although <laughs> I have a view, fortunately, that overlooks the ocean in the little town of Half Moon Bay. And my tiny little condo is in the Redwoods in a beautiful section of California. Oh, really nice. That sounds idyllic. And would you like to share a little bit about your journey? Because we're going to be talking about hydrogen amongst many other elements within the energy technologies. So tell us a little about your journey so that we understand where you're coming from, please. Yeah, so I started my career at SRI International doing market research for the chemical industry. And at that time, I tracked developments in industrial gases. And hydrogen was my absolute favorite to follow because it just seemed like there were so many different sectors to it. There was more conventional businesses, the gas companies that supplied hydrogen to markets. But then there were, you know, one of the larger markets was in the space sector. So people from NASA would be there talking about hydrogen and using it in, as a rocket fuel. And then there was a whole section of sort of academics and entrepreneurs that really saw the vision around hydrogen as a clean energy source for the world. It was a very exciting time for me because some of these technologies like fuel cells were just entering a commercialization phase. And so at that time we were going through sort of what I would think of as a, at least from my time perspective, a phase one hydrogen transition, which didn't take off as fully as people had hoped at that time. And now here we are again, some 30 years later, looking at hydrogen again. And um, it was really fun thinking about this talk to think about what was different between then and now. Obviously, we're not all driving fuel cell cars today. Some people are, but it's not as common as hydrocarbons. What could be different this time? 
So now that you're talking about that, why are people interested in hydrogen now? If it is not so new, what has changed so drastically? I mean, first, it's such a compelling vision. And when you think about things like, so electrolyzers use electricity to break water into hydrogen and oxygen. And fuel cells essentially do the reverse. They use hydrogen and oxygen to produce electricity. So that's why when you think about like a fuel cell powered car, hydrogen is the fuel and then oxygen from the air mixes together and they're converted by the fuel cell into electricity to run that electric vehicle. It's like magic. It's a very compelling way to think about transitioning from hydrocarbons, which are a little bit less abundant and have the carbon dioxide co-product or byproduct. Obviously today there's a lot of concern about global warming and carbon dioxide emissions have been linked to that. So it's really that much more important to transition to something that to cleaner energy sources now. But then what are the biggest challenges that we have in the use of hydrogen? When you look at where hydrogen comes from, the vision of hydrogen from water is wonderful and it's technically possible. But when you look at what's actually happening in the world, 1% of the hydrogen that we produce actually comes from water. The rest all comes from natural gas and that production has carbon dioxide associated with it. So switching over to hydrogen from natural gas doesn't address the carbon dioxide challenge. You still are going to have to figure out how to separate that and how to sequester it if you're going to achieve the environmental benefits that you're hoping for in moving to a hydrogen economy. So is this why we have different colors? that we have blue and brown and you sort of think, oh, hold on a minute, what does that actually mean? <laughs> well, I don't want to go all through the colors. It seems okay. like we invented every day. <laughs> <laughs> but what we want is green hydrogen. And that's from that perfect virtuous circle, taking water, using clean green electricity to produce hydrogen and oxygen. That's the vision we're heading towards. Green hydrogen doesn't have carbon in it. And so as long as those renewables are carbon-free sources, then they count. Uh, some people think of technically like nuclear would also be a carbon-free resource, but it's not always considered part of green hydrogen. So when you have things like gray hydrogen, that would be when hydrogen is produced from natural gas and you emit carbon dioxide and you don't capture it or sequester it. So there are other colors where the CO2 is captured. And then you can also look at other sources of hydrogen for other colors around nuclear hydrogen or other types. Blue hydrogen is the one where you take the carbon dioxide and you capture it and store it so it's sequestered and it won't be entering the atmosphere and contributing to greenhouse gas emissions. Is it fair to then ask, we've tried hydrogen before, so why do we think that it will work this time? A lot of things have changed in the world. First off, we, we care about carbon dioxide emissions now. Nobody ever used to worry about them. They hadn't been linked to global warming. We hadn't really realized the severity of that problem, the consequences of that problem. So it wasn't a big issue. I think one of the main drivers for hydrogen in the past was really around energy security. And that issue went away. So. When I was thinking about how I got involved in hydrogen and what was going on in the 80s and 90s, a lot of that initial interest was really driven because at that time we felt we were living in more of a world of energy scarcity than energy abundance. I mean, I remember as a kid in the 70s, long lines at gas stations, skyrocketing gas prices. We were very dependent on oil from the Middle East in the US and some other regions of the world as well. 
And uh, whether it was an oil embargo or supply disruptions due to conflicts in the Middle East, we're, our entire economy was really a subject to large swings based on the price of oil. And people thought, well, this is a security issue and we need to be more energy independent. But now we live in this day of energy abundance. I think that the issues have changed. What's exciting is that now we actually have situations where, for example, with the heavy investment in renewables, whether hydroelectric or wind, there are actually some locations at certain times of day or times of year where we're making more energy than we know what to do with from renewables. And you can't really store electricity very easily. So it has to go somewhere. And hydrogen could maybe offer a solution to that at a small scale today, and hopefully at a very large scale in the future. So that means that we can now store hydrogen? Well, um, hydrogen storage in its pure form is still tricky. As a gas, that's not really convenient to um, travel with. And as a liquid, well, it's expensive to pressurize it into liquid form. And as it warms up, it vaporizes and you have to release that pressure. So it's just not a great storage mechanism. But we are seeing a couple of things. So one, if you can actually use some of that hydrogen to make electricity in a fuel cell, that converts it to electricity, which can then feed the grid. And that hasn't been done in the past. So fuel cells sort of at a large scale sort of represent a new application to use some of that hydrogen. And then there are some interesting projects that are being proposed that actually would store hydrogen in a way that hasn't been widely done before, which is underground and things like salt caverns or depleted oil and gas fields. Now that's not ready to be a solution in all geographic regions of the world immediately, but it's something new to the mix. So even if we don't have all the pieces yet today, uh, a lot of them are starting to come into place. So it sounds like the new technologies that are being developed around the hydrogen economy, which people call the hydrogen economy 2.0, that is what seems the exciting part of it all. Is that right? I think it's really just the commitment that people are making to move away from hydrocarbon resources and invest in looking at hydrogen again. Uh, and I think how all these pieces are going to fit together hasn't quite been determined yet. And that's why you're seeing so many different things experimented with in, in hydrogen in different regions of the world, because all of these pieces still require a little bit of thinking as far as how they're going to fit together. And it's going to depend probably partly on where you live and what resources you have. So renewable energy, for example, is very site-specific. And so if you have access to wind or if you have access to solar, that provides you one set of opportunities. If you don't, then you have to think about other opportunities. So if your natural resources are all hydrocarbons, then you have to think about how you can convert them into a form where you can capture those carbon emissions. So there's sort of different pieces that are being put together now to solve really the, the climate problem more than energy scarcity problems. Often we hear that one of the applications for hydrogen is the use in big fleets of vehicles. Yes. Is that something that you see that can grow or are there other applications that are more suitable? I think that's a good application. And yes, we are starting to see it grow. 
I, here in the middle of the Redwoods, happen to live less than 10 miles from a hydrogen fueling station. <laughs> okay. But that's a little bit unusual in the U.S. because really only California is investing right now in hydrogen fueling stations for passenger vehicles. Now, I think some people think, oh, you know, they had their chance. EVs have made so much progress now. But, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if these things kind of flip-flop back and forth. You know, when autos first came out, I remember my mom telling me that one of her neighbors drove an electric vehicle, but then gasoline engines were what succeeded in the marketplace. Fuel cells got a lot of hype in the 80s and 90s, but they didn't achieve the market, the scale that EVs have now. But I'm not sure that that means that's a, a dead technology. I think it just means that it took a lot longer for those vehicles to mature than people had hoped for. But we've had, what, 30 years now to continue to improve on and develop the PEM technology that makes those fuels possible, or excuse me, those autos, um, automobiles possible. And we're working a lot of the kinks out of the market. So building up the hydrogen fueling infrastructure will take money and commitment and resources, but there are some regions of the world that are making that commitment. So California in the United States is heading that way. Japan has some active programs. There are fuel cell vehicles on the road in Asia and other areas too. Now, you know, all these things, it takes some time to figure out where the right fit is. You know, right now it's easier to get your EV fueled than your hydrogen fueled car. But when you think about scaling some of these technologies to other applications like heavy duty trucks for long haul trucking and things like that, Fuel cells might have a role to play again, because there's just a limit to how many batteries you can put on your truck and have all the space that you have to haul stuff. We're still exploring where the best niches are to have this technology be successful. And also it might not be equally successful in all regions of the world. There might be some places where energy from hydrogen makes more sense than others. Yeah, certainly there seem to be places in Europe that are actually pushing quite hard, you know, big fleets of vehicles, for example, for utilities, loads of vehicles that they need to use continuously, a, a solution in a particular place or other organizations that are looking into pushing for trains that are hydrogen focused. So what makes hydrogen combustion unique? The fact that there's no carbon in hydrogen means that, you know, your, your byproduct is water. That's one of the main drivers. But if you're thinking about transitioning to hydrogen, it's not just a matter of, I don't know, putting hydrogen in what used to be gasoline pumps. You can't do it that way. Um, the hydrogen molecule is very different than methane or gasoline or other hydrocarbon sources. So when you think of some of the properties, I guess it's very small and light. So it's got a really high energy content, the highest energy content of any common fuel by weight. So like three times more than gasoline, but it has the lowest energy content by volume. So about four times less than gasoline. So that high energy content is why things like the space program were one of the first applications to actually use hydrogen because they needed that energy density to get you know, power on spaceships through fuel cells or to get uh, hydrogen to actually propel that rocket out of the earth's atmosphere and into space orbits. So that's part of the interest in hydrogen. And, but when you're actually thinking about using it, it has some very different properties. So the molecule is very small. It can be very leaky. It can embrittle steel. It can cause damage to plastics. 
the hydrogen molecule itself is it's colorless and odorless and tasteless, but it can be ignited at very low concentrations. And the hydrogen flame is virtually invisible to the human eye. So there are a lot of safety concerns that have to be considered and addressed through codes and standards and protocols and things like that for handling sa hydrogen safety. In this work, we know what needs to be done and the work is being done. It's just that it takes a little bit of time to roll out and develop those codes and standards and protocols and, and handling procedures and in getting them widely adopted. It seems like a good solution when one wants to reduce the carbon emissions. Seems to have lots of advantages over methane and propane and particularly coal and some of the other energy products and gases. Yes. What about affordability, though? Well, it's really not a consumer product right now. So, you know, if you're using huge volumes of hydrogen at a refinery, it's not really that expensive, but that's a lot different than trying to find a gas station and a pump where you can access it. And then to get the costs worked out through scale, we're a long ways from having that happen. Right now, I, I don't know actually what I would be paying at that pump 10 miles down the road <laughs> for hydrogen, but I'm, I'm quite sure A, the cars are much more expensive and B, I'm sure the fuel is more expensive too. How that's gonna work out over time, I don't know, we've had a long time to work out all the kinks in distribution systems around hydrocarbons, and it will take some time to do that for hydrogen as well. And then I guess really at the end of the day, what it's all gonna come down to is as a society, what do we think the cost of carbon emissions is? So if we put a price on that, economics of a lot of things are gonna change and look very different. Fair enough. And do we have clear leaders that are developing the focus on hydrogen? Or is it everybody at the moment trying just to get a little bit of understanding of their own models and their own needs? Well, there have certainly been large initiatives that have attracted global attention. But at the end of the day, somebody's got to commit that money. And that tends to come... I think at local levels, whether your state or your country or your economic zone or your region. So I think that kind of is part of what contributes maybe to the feeling that it's a lot of different efforts. I think that's also partly because everyone has different resources that they might be thinking towards applying to hydrogen. So if you happen to live where there's a lot of solar or wind that's being curtailed because there's nowhere to send that electricity, you're thinking about hydrogen is gonna be very different than, wow, our economy is based on coal. We think there might be problems marketing that in the future. Um, how do we continue to use this resource in a way that makes sense in an environmentally responsible way in the world? So I think that's going to result in a lot of different strategies. Also, some regions of the world have resources to make hydrogen and others don't. So I think a country like Japan, well, they've always had to import a lot of their energy, especially their liquid fuels. They have historically made a lot of nuclear for electricity, although you know how much of that they'll continue to do moving forward, I, I'm not sure. So for them, if you're kind of seeking around the world for something to import, 
your point of view around the importance of having a clean fuel might be different than a country that actually has built its economy on extracting a particular energy resource. So I think you know, everybody's got to figure out their own plan. <laughs> Fair enough. So what trend do you see in the overall energy market? Oh, gosh. Um, well, the big thing that's happening is figuring out how to address those carbon emissions and being serious about doing that while keeping energy affordable is a big challenge. I think the challenge of scaling some of these renewables is what's going to be hard. So I was listening to a, a, um, a report from Nell Hydrogen, one of the big electrolysis companies, and they estimate that about only like 1% of the world's hydrogen is made by electrolysis. Well, that means the rest of it is all coming from hydrocarbons. So that is still a lot of CO2 associated with hydrogen production. So, you know, moving away from that is, is, is going to be a challenge that we're going to have to figure out how to do it and keep energy affordable. The world has benefited so much from affordable energy. Well, you think about these economies where people have to go out and, I don't know, gather wood and it takes time out of their day. It's bad for the environment. We want to be able to transition economies to places where energy remains abundant and clean and affordable. And that's not easy to do at the scale that's required to address everybody's needs on the planet. Has there been any way in which we have managed to transport hydrogen in any kind of way? Yeah, people have thought about transporting hydrogen over long distances before. And an example that came up when I was following hydrogen was in the late 80s, when Canada started investing in a whole lot of hydroelectric power. And they weren't sure that they had local markets to support all the demand, which is kind of laughable now, but at the time that was a concern. And they actually set up something called the Euro-Quebec Hydro-Hydrogen Project, which looked at shipping 100 megawatts of electricity from Canada to Europe. And the way they looked at doing that was three things, hydrogen in as liquid hydrogen or hydrogen in chemicals like methyl cyclohexane or ammonia. So a lot of this work has been considered and is kind of being dusted off as we look at new ways to think about transporting hydrogen from areas where it can be produced cheaply to areas that has high value. And Japan is a country that has sponsored a lot of that work historically through things like the New Sunshine Program and their World Energy Network. As a net importer of energy resources, hydrogen has been on their list for a long time as a source of clean energy. Would you like to give us an example, please? Programs like the Euro-Quebec program and Japan's WeNet program, those were great examples from the 90s that we can build on today around thinking about how to ship hydrogen. So there are a whole bunch of different projects going on now that build on past ideas to ship hydrogen regionally and transport it. And actually, McKinsey did a nice report in 2021 for the Hydrogen Council, and they counted like more than 200 projects that have been announced globally around shipping hydrogen. Uh, what I think is new and interesting is projects like this Intermountain Power Project, which is looking at a new way to think about storing hydrogen, taking some of that excess electricity produced from wind that may not, it may be produced in surplus of what markets require. So if some of that can be used to 
power an electrolyzer to create hydrogen that can be then stored in an underground cavern at this Intermountain Power Project for later use. That's something that hasn't really been done as much historically. There have been a few caverns around in the world as I look things up, but they weren't significant pieces of the infrastructure in the past. And this is really looking at electricity in a different way and hydrogen in a different way than what I'm familiar with historically. So I think that that's a great project. Oh, that's brilliant. Thank you. And there's another idea too. Yes, please. (laughs) Yeah, so another thing that people are looking at is actually feeding hydrogen into the existing natural gas network. You can't really do a one-for-one replacement, but there are some studies now looking at just how much hydrogen you could put in. And it looks like maybe up to 20% of that volume could be hydrogen. And the natural gas pipeline network in a lot of regions, it's really vast. And so that represents two things. One, it's sort of a, a home for that hydrogen. It can be a temporary storage place. And then two, it also helps to decarbonize natural gas, which is already being used in a variety of applications throughout the world. So if we can do that with a kind of a minimal investment, those look like really promising ways to start making progress towards getting hydrogen more broadly used. The Gas Technology Institute and EPRI, the Electric Power Research Institute, are doing a big study that includes this and a lot of other technologies to think about low carbon resources for the future. What's next for Barbara Haydorn and Horizon Views? Horizon Views is my own consultancy, and uh, the name reflects my background in horizon scanning and monitoring emerging technologies. I've had some projects related to hydrogen recently, and I would love to do more, and uh, we'll see where it goes. Fantastic. And what's the best way to get in touch with you? I'm on LinkedIn at Barbara Haydorn, H-E-Y-D-O-R-N, and that I can also be reached at horizonviews at comcast.net. This is Urban Jungle with your host, Magda Flores. Thanks for joining, and if there is a topic or people you would like to hear from, all you have to do is drop me a line. My email address is urbanwsolutions at gmail.com. Urban environments need your help. Be part of the solution. Check out our training courses on urban well-being, developed in partnership with SIWEM, the UK's Chartered Institute of Water and Environmental Management, at www.siwem.org.